Hey, and welcome to episode 51 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. And yes, we're back again for another animated epic discussion. And this is your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Minnesota. And I'm also joined today by two wonderful co-hosts, uh, Jody Pulaski and Hannah Lee Smart. How's it going, guys? Hey, everyone. It's going great. I'm super excited that today we're going to be talking about Quest for Camelot. This is one of those movies that I had forgotten all about, and I'm really happy we're going to dig into it today and kind of rediscover the magic of this story together. I'm also so excited for this movie. Um, I kind of forgot about this movie, to be honest, but I love the two-headed dragon and all the adventures, and I'm so ready to talk about Quest for Camelot. It's the perfect day to talk about this movie because I just feel like it's honestly sunny and perfect, and I love doing the podcast on those days. Yes, we're now in the month of September. It's the waning days of summer, unfortunately, and... um, but we're going to keep the summer vibes going as long as we can here on the Thodcast because we, we love, I, I hope, I hope we all love summer and I, I assume that is the case. If you guys are missing summer, everyone's always invited down to Georgia where it's summer every day of the year. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm the only one that didn't do that, but like, don't worry everyone, I won't be. <laughs> just take a quick shot over to uh, Walt Disney World, Orlando, <laughs> the limited capacities, no lines, uh, everyone's wearing masks. I'm sure it's a, <laughs> it's a little sketch, but whatever you can do. To yeah, pandemic find, problems. <laughs> find joy in these uh, strange times. Yeah, I wonder if Florida, if they'll consider closing again, if there's resurgence in cases. I don't know, Jody, do you know anything oh, about Oh, sweetie, that? let me tell you something about the South. Where there's money, there's no rules. They will be open until everyone in America is dead or in the hospital, and then maybe they'll consider shortening the hours. You it's can like, pack your bags. Disney is open for business. It's like the wild, wild west. <laughs> well, uh, last week we talked about Mulan from the year 1998. Uh, film that was animated in Florida. Uh, I don't know. We, we never really mentioned too much about that, if it necessarily had a signature Floridian feel about it. But um, <laughs> if it did, uh, that'd be interesting to know what exactly uh, the influence might have been. But um, it, Mulan, a very good film from Walt Disney Animation and uh, well-received. It was uh, sort of a progressive move at the time to have an animated action flick uh, revolving around a female protagonist and, and an action-oriented female protagonist at that. And uh, the film we're covering today does the same thing. Uh, it's got a similar sort of MO in that regard um, and perhaps shares some origins sort of in tandem with the film Mulan in in a sense. Um, We'll get into that a little bit. Um, But yeah, of course, we're recording this the day before the launch of Mulan 2020, the live action film on Disney Plus. So stay tuned for our coverage of that as well on the Thodcast. But yeah, I thought it'd be fun to just do a little in-between talk on 
Quest for Camelot, um, directed by Frederick Duchow, uh, a first time feature animation director. Uh, this film coming from Warner Brothers Animation. Uh, it's kind of the follow up to uh, Space Jam and uh, Cats Don't Dance. Uh, Jody, you, you mentioned you're kind of a fan of Cats Don't Dance, which I've maybe only seen once in theaters back in 1997. Yeah, I really hope that our listeners stay tuned in these upcoming weeks because I'm going to con you into rewatching that movie. There is something really epic about all of these animals pursuing their like Broadway hopes and dreams. And the villain is hilarious. I'm not going to go into depth about it because we're going to watch it and we're going to dive deep, deep, deep into Cats Don't Dance in one of these upcoming weeks. I actually just came off of watching the documentary Howard on Disney Plus. Have either of you seen that? Or know anything I have about not. The Howard one? Yes. I actually saw like some clips of that on an Instagram ad, I think. And it seems very, very um, insightful more into like his life and career. And I think that's super cool. We have a friend, I know I've mentioned her to you before, that's really obsessed with The Little Mermaid. And she um, was telling me about that. And then I saw it as an ad, you know, like when your phone listens to you. Yeah, yeah I just saw that. And um, I think it looks really interesting. I think that's... um. A realm that we don't touch on, Philip, but I think that's a really cool documentary. And Howard Ashman is so impactful in Disney animation and Disney as a brand. I think that's super cool. Yeah, I found it super informative. I actually didn't finish it. Uh, my parents have probably just wrapped it out uh, as we speak because um, I, I had the call scheduled with you guys. But um, I, I got quite a ways into it. It was right around the time when they were developing Aladdin. And uh, it's important kind of to the discussion and the framework of this film and even Mulan and, and animation circa the 1990s, uh, because that was just such a dramatic resurgence in 2D feature animation, um, the Disney Renaissance, of course, going on at the time. And uh, Warner Brothers animation was also experiencing a resurgence. They had a lot of success with their uh, television programs like the Animaniacs, uh, Batman, the animated series, Tiny Toons Adventures, Freakazoid. Uh, um, there was just a whole bunch of classic animated series being made at the time. Um, and, and so they were having their own renaissance and that was part of a partnership also they had with Steven Spielberg, kind of on the coattails of um, well, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That was a Steven Spielberg co-production uh, with Disney and Warner Brothers. Um, just a whole, I don't know, everyone was having a wonderful circle fest uh, in the animation world uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it was a wonderful time. Uh, but you're sort of starting to see the luster uh, come off that a little bit now as we're heading into the later 1990s and I think a significant part of that was the unfortunate loss of Howard Ashman in um, I believe he died in 1990 of HIV um, and he just had such a tremendous influence in bringing the magic of the Broadway musical and of you could argue the original uh, formula of the Disney animated musical uh, back into contemporary animation. Yeah, he surely um, changed Disney animation and Disney tactics. Did um, 
I don't know what I was just going to ask. Never mind. <laughs> well, Alan Menken was his uh, songwriting partner too. And, and you know, with uh, uh, The Little Mermaid, that really kickstarted the whole resurgence, especially for Disney. Yeah, uh, totally. Feature, feature animation. Um, but yeah, Quest for a Camelot has a lot of shared DNA. I, I mean, uh, Jody, what do you, as a, our Disney princess expert, um, this is kind of Warner Brothers' first foray into sort of the Disney format fairy tale. Uh, how successful was this film at sort of capturing the magic of a Disney fairy tale while also kind of innovating or doing its own thing? I think this one definitely leans towards being a little bit more of like a masculine type princess vibe. I don't know if I'm saying that politically correctly, but you know, most princess movies, they have like the iconic dresses and they have like some power ballads and usually they give up something to like achieve their dreams. Whereas this one, like you said, it's more of like an epic um, action focused type storyline. Um, I, like I said, I remember loving it a lot when I was a kid. And actually there was a similar show that came out, I think last year called Nellie the Night that was on um, Nickelodeon. And that kind of reminded me of this type of storyline. This character, um, uh, Kaylee, the, the lead, she is obsessed with, you know, making her father proud, again, ringing true to the Mulan that we just talked about, and becoming a knight and kind of chasing that dream like most princesses do, like most Disney characters do. Again, this is not Disney, but um, you really see her going all for it and not letting doubts hold her back. And you get to kind of go on this journey with her where she has her doubts, but more than anything, she does believe in herself. So I would say it's 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 kind of like a princess movie, but it's it's a little more action than the, the typical princess. But again, so was Mulan, so who am I to say? Uh, as of kids today, I'm not sure if they would know who we were talking about if we brought up Kaylee or Garrett mm -hmm. or any of these characters. But I do think you could show this movie to a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and they would really like it, you know? She's relatable, there's comedic relief, and the songs are incredible. So to me, it it, it fits the bill of a like quote-unquote princess movie, but but maybe not for all audiences out there. Mm -hmm. Hannah, what do you think about kind of the overall uh, conceit of this film? Sure, I think she's, um, it's a very similar plot to Mulan, not really like nail on the head stuff, but it is very similar. I think like Jody was saying, it does kind of follow that princessy structure. I do think, however, she's a bit more of a tomboy Per se, and I think it's really cool that they took so many different characters and different um, like walks of life and abilities in this movie. So, for instance, like Garrett being blind and a two-headed dragon being someone that looks different than you would expect, and then um, how she was never able to be accepted as a knight because of the times, which <laughs> we learned in the last podcast. Like times have not changed, and I do not think the times have changed so much, but. Um, I think it was really cool that they took something and developed these characters that could save the day that weren't as um, naturally abled, if that's the correct term, as typical heroes in movies like these, so that all kids have someone to look up to, because I think that's something in any animation studio um, is a goal to work on. Yeah, um, I think that Aesthetic was sort of on the rise in the 
you know, 1990s of promoting, um, you know, more egalitarian ideals, um, letting women take the lead role in action films and, and showcasing people with different abilities, you know, what we might refer to as disabilities, but, uh, you know, the ad- adaptations that these people are often able to find to work to their advantage, as we see with Garrett in this film. You know, he's an extremely accomplished warrior in his own right, despite being blind. Um, and then, yeah, the, the message about the, the two-headed dragon, um, learning to work together as well. Does the two-headed dragon have a name? I could... They have names, but two of them. Like, I was getting so confused. Yeah. Yeah, Cornwall and Devon. Um, Devon played by Eric Idle of Monty Python fame. And of course, Don Rickles, the comedian who provided the voice of Mr. Potato Head, uh, plays Cornwall. You can call me Oh, Cornwall. it was familiar. I'm not as good with these um, industry names like you, Philip. I don't quite have the memory for them, but I do every now and then hear something that sounds familiar. So I love when you clarify for me why I sense something familiar with these voices. <laughs> Well, yeah, the Eric Idle reference is appropriate because he, of course, uh, as a member of Monty Python, was involved heavily in the creation of, you know, things like projects such as, uh, you know, Holy Grail. <laughs> what, what, is it, what, are they, what is the official title of that Monty Python Holy Grail movie? I think it's just, yeah, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, they have a series yep. of sketches, but I do think that's the actual name of that film. Yes. Um, yeah, and he plays a variety of characters in that film. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Sir Robin, the not quite so brave as Sir Lancelot, <laughs> uh, the dead collector, peasant number one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, um, of course, John Cleese played uh, uh, Sir Lancelot the Brave, uh, the Black Knight, the taunting French guard, uh, second swallow savvy guard. Yeah, just such a unforgettable classic film and of course it had its own broadway spin-off spamalot uh, which eric idle i think might have had the the most um creative input in producing i'm not sure though um but i so <laughs> negligent if doing, i would have known there was yeah. going to be a pop quiz on monty python i would have watched a different movie this well, afternoon philip no no i and i haven't done obsessive research either and i i'm not like a monty python aficionado i have seen well, there's Spamalot. animation in those movies yeah there's some animation yeah we could talk we could certainly talk about monty python on the holy grail on here if you want but um yeah i, I saw a community theater rendition of spam a lot once upon a time <laughs> so uh that was fun and i think they actually used voice clips of eric idol uh perhaps as the voice of god or something just you know, it was pre-recorded um so if i'm not mistaken that was up here in uh bemidji the the paul bunyan playhouse <laughs> if you guys you guys have probably seen shows there huh yeah definitely uh, yeah 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 i saw spam a lot there once upon a time um yeah the quest for camelot is definitely playing on the arthurian legends uh and of course there have been hundreds of retellings uh, some more famous than others uh, this being probably one of the more prominent visual representations of Arthurian 
legend for me personally, along with films like um, The Sword and the Stone you know, from Disney back in the day. And um, of course, yeah, Monty Python. Um, there's the film First Night with Richard Gere, Julia Ormond, and um, uh, Sean Connery. Have you guys seen that? I haven't seen that one, but to throw onto that list, I would even say maybe a little bit of Black Cauldron vibes too. Yeah, yeah, certainly in, in that kind of genre. Um, Philip, have you ever seen the movie Tilly's Dragon? I haven't, no. Very good. Also had dragons in it. Mm-hmm. Also, I confused it for this movie before <laughs> you have to watch it. <laughs> so very much the same genre. Yeah. So yeah, Quest for Camelot was uh, not a very successful film. It had a $22.8 million domestic box office gross on like, a, I think it was 40 some million dollar budget. Yeah, not, not great. It, it um, has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, but it, it did, Wait, does have that, yeah. That was all Rotten Tomatoes. People are wild. <laughs> yeah, this is the critic score. 45%. It, I mean, it does mean that 45% of critics had a positive review. So. You know what I think, Philip? There should be something similar to Rotten Tomatoes, but it's called like childhood memory rating. Because even though this is like getting fairly low scores by the critics, if we were to ask like our childhood memories what they thought of it, like it would be getting a lot higher reviews. You did you watch it recently? Did you say you watched it today or the other day? Yeah, I, I watched it the other day. It is on Netflix for anyone listening. I feel like the music alone is so powerful that it would carry it to like a ninety percent in the childhood memory genre. But again, we're talking about Rotten Tomatoes. I just think it'd be cool to have like another way of rating it. Yeah. They do have quite the star-studded uh, cast on the album. Um, mm-hmm. Like Leanne Rhymes, Steve Perry, like that's crazy mm-hmm. to me. Celine Dion. Yeah. It's so random. Yeah. Journeys, uh, Steve Perry. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's crazy. And like, honestly, 1998, that was like pretty big news to have Steve Perry on your <laughs> cast album. Yeah. I similar, very similar to like having um, Phil Collins, you know, he did. Tarzan, 1999, uh, you know, just a lot of these famous um, rock and roll artists, you know, were getting involved in some of these animated endeavors. Um, but yeah, the uh, we sort of got into a little bit about the the lead character, Kaylee, um, and I'm I'm not familiar with the actress portraying her, at least in her speaking spoken dialogue jessalyn gilsig i don't know is that anyone that's not a name that stands out to me <laughs> like all of the names yeah yeah like, i don't know her she probably has like a lot of followers on instagram though imagine maybe popular on bbc uh television she was in glee she played oh, wow. terry what? terry schuster in glee hmm. um, let's see. that's like she's not on there very long <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, Scandal, Vikings, Siggy Haraldson and Vikings. Scandal's pretty big. Yeah, so she, she had kind of a different career path than most of the, this is another difference between the Disney princess voices. You know, they go on to like live their character dreams to infinity and beyond, but it sounds like it's not quite the case for the uh, Warner Brother princesses. 
Yeah, she she was only the speaking voice. Um, Andrea, <clears throat> sorry, um, Andrea, not or Andrea, uh, Cor, C-O-R-R, is the singing voice. Um, so I don't know, um, I, I, and I'm similarly unfamiliar with her. Uh, I loved her singing voice. <laughs> I really like her song. I think it's like early on in the movie, she's kind of singing in reminiscence of her father, which again, another thing she has in common with Disney princesses is, is she loses her parent, her parent dies. Uh, but she sings that song, I think it's called On My Father's Wings. And I remember singing that one in the shower as a kid. And I, I really like uh, Kaylee. I keep wanting to call her Haley. I really <laughs> like Kaylee's singing voice throughout the film. Hers and the mom singing voices are my favorite. And then the villains is obviously my least favorite. Yeah, Andrea Kaur is from Ireland. Um, so she's kind of popular among that scene. Uh, so a lot, a lot of Celtic influence, uh, you know, just... Um, you know, that sort of ancient tradition of the British Isles brought into the conception, the art, artistry in this film. Um, and I, I even found out that when Barry Cook, lead director on, or he, I guess lead director is probably the wrong word, but he was the person originally offered the role of directing Mulan. Um, and he was given the choice between a project um, either, you know, this kind of a retelling of the original Mulan folktale or a Scottish folktale revolving around dragons, which is a similar idea to what Quest for Camelot became. So I wonder if there's maybe some connection there. Uh, and it, it was very common for, you know, the animation industry to just have various ideas floating around that would find their way into multiple uh, <laughs> studios and you would have those, you know, kind of phenomena of two very similar films coming out right around the same time, you know, Ants and A Bug's Life or... Uh, oh, yeah, that's uh, a perfect comparison. <laughs> you know, Treasure I was trying Planet, to think of examples. Uh, Titan AE, Treasure Planet. Um, Actually, uh, Philip, I think we talked about that way back when we did Missing Link how there's always these eras of the same topic, but people keep going to the movies, but they're all the same, like, yeah. plot and similar characters by all these. And Philip, do you think that's intentional or do you think it's just like this thought sort of starts bubbling all around and people just pick up bits and pieces? Or do you think it's like, oh, Disney's doing a, a mm. whatever, a warrior movie. Now it's our turn to do a warrior movie. Do you think it's it's something that, manifest organically or do you think there is some sense of trying to keep up with the joneses yeah i i think sometimes somebody will hear an idea that's been shared elsewhere and then just bring it over to whatever they're working on um and i think the most blatant example was probably with a bug's life and ants because um you know jeffrey katzenberg who was head of animation um at Disney, or I guess um, he, he kind of had supervising position over the, the both animation studios, uh, you know, Walt Disney Animation and Pixar. Um, and he certainly would have known about A Bug's Life, but he left the, the company and started DreamWorks. And one of the first films to be greenlit at DreamWorks was, uh, was Ants. So there's a lot of 
kind of speculation that he almost directly <laughs> um, cribbed ants from from Pixar. But most of the time, it's not quite so blatant or intentional. It's just things that are popular in the zeitgeist. It's almost impossible for them to like not think of that. But I also think it's so hard for them to have, they have to either find out in advance or it's coincidental because how would you come up with a whole animated movie so quickly? It takes a while. Yeah, it, um, you can't really just do it on, on the quick. Um, yeah, what, what is Tilly's dragon, by the way? You, you brought that up early, earlier. Um, it's, I don't know what animation studio does it, but it's this girl, Tilly, and she lives in a castle and she meets a dragon and she tries to run away with the dragon. I haven't seen this movie in years. Um, and Tilly and the dragon kind of save the day and she tells everyone that the dragon's good, but they try to slay the dragon and then Tilly has to tell her dad not to slay the dragon because he's a good dragon. It's very cute. I love that movie. I see. Yeah, 1995 is 44 minutes long. It's kind of like a TV special. Uh, Interesting. Honestly, my mom always bought us like those family, whatever they're called. Like they're called like, um, I don't know what they are. Family whatever (laughs) video. And they come with like 80 VHS pack and you just get to watch them all. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it was in one of those. Yeah, there's some like VHS subscription services that were popular back in the day. I mean, Disney had their own and they they still do, I think, to this day have their like Disney movie club, which is like a retail Yes, I'm in that Disney movie rewards. Well, yeah, they have their rewards uh, program too. And but like um, annexed to that is like a subscription service where you get discounts on just purchasing the home media. And I know my mom, I think, was a, a member of that at one point in time. And so we ended up with just a lot of our own like personal Disney VHS collection out of that. Um, but then there, there was like another VHS program, I think, called Feature Films for Families. That's uh, what it was. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, we yeah just, there was like, some... literally, there was this one movie called Picture Perfect. Hmm. With the guy who played Al on Home Improvement. Oh, yep. Top notch. I, I remember that. <laughs> yep. No, we were definitely a member of that service from one at one point in time. Um, and they had a couple animated films as part of that as well. Yeah, Tilly's Dragon definitely would have been one of them. Um, there was like, oh, Scamper the Penguin. Do you <gasps> oh, my gosh, Pat, like, Philip, you have crawled into the 90s and, like, dug out these gems, these moments that I thought were forgotten to time forever. Scamper the penguin with the little pebbles. Sorry. Yeah, I've, I've created an early 90s nostalgia time warp. I am all about up. it. You know, that is what this world needs. A little more 90s, a little less 2020. Let's just jump into it and, like, have a whole new series, like, 90 of our favorite 90s movies. Honestly, that's so smart. There's a sparrow one. Do you remember that? It was like Willie the Sparrow or something. No, but uh, there was also one where there's these like dancing weasels that I liked. Okay. <laughs> We're so off topic. <laughs> well, Quest for Camelot, I would argue, almost ventures into that 
sort of sub tier category of animation. It it really for me doesn't quite hold its own. It's it's almost and of course yeah Disney didn't produce like a Celtic or Arthurian themed film uh, ultimately even though they had one in the works as of the early 90s when they were developing Mulan um but um like they you know Quest for Camelot could have been sort of the uh uh what's <laughs> sort of like the asylum knockoff to whatever Disney would have come up with in that uh genre <laughs> um Asylum is just sort of a a film company that makes really cheap knockoffs of uh, famous films. Um, Sounds like pretty princess parties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no. (laughs) Just kidding, everybody. No, honestly, there's got to be cereal for the rich kids and for the generic brand. Like, I'm all about... Yeah, like all of us having feature family film subscription boxes. Exactly. Like this episode goes Mm -hmm. out to the kids that couldn't afford Lucky Charms, but could afford Marshmallow Mateys. Oh my God. Which were better anyways, because you actually got more marshmallows in them and they had more fun shapes. Yeah, the the Quaker Oats or the, (laughs) yeah, just the Malto Meal version of of General Mills. Yeah, like... um, if you've there's a Netflix movie out called Ballerina, it was also called released under the title Leap. Um, Leap, yes. Yes, that stars this. Here we go, everybody listening. Listen up. I have a fun fact. Uh, the lead character of that movie is voiced by Maddie Ziegler, and I know this because I've watched Dance Moms, and I now have a TikTok account. So that's the fact from Jody for the day when it comes to names on the IMBD. Okay. Um, I thought maybe I saw it was the. Uh, oh my the God, Fanning. Philip, please let me have this. No, no, okay. You're, I'll concede. <laughs> I, I think Elle Fanning is in that as well. All right, listeners, you can choose. You can choose. Do you want to listen to Philip or Jody? If Elle Fanning is the star, not Maddie Ziegler. Like they get big names to appear in these things. And of course, they got just A tier um, talent to do the, the music course for for quest for camelot no doubt um and and of course it was it was a fully fledged um major production studio warner brothers feature animation um and they had done um you know batman mask of the phantasm and uh space jam and it would go on to do iron giant a, a wonderful film um but yeah not people don't necessarily remember Quest for Camelot very well today. And, and I mean, rewatching it again, I definitely saw that there, there was a reason for that. You know what it is, Philip? You know why it's not standing above the rest? Why is Those that? animators cannot make eyes that focus. I don't know if that was just like a 90s thing, but that was like an animation thing that really like threw me out of, I don't know, going into the whole world. It's like it, they really struggled to create eye contact with the characters and you know when they're singing the songs you have like one eye kind of veering to the left veering to the right which I mean I'm sure it's really difficult to create eyes as an animator but you can tell that that was something they needed to work on with the project yeah well and there's kind of some seeming cynical like let's create these characters that are very toy centric you know let's let's try to uh, develop some some things that are very marketable as 
you know, consumer products, like the mechanical henchmen, you know, it's something that just seems so out of place in like this medieval action film. You got these like transformer knockoffs basically. Uh, and I don't know, it just, it doesn't fit. And of course, like there's that big musical number of this film. The one Oscar nomination was for the song, The Prayer. Uh, should mention that um, the original songs were written by uh, Carol Bayer, Sa uh, gosh, Carol Bayer Sager um, and David Foster, uh, accomplished um, award-winning, award-nominated um, songwriter duo. And of course, yeah, they have that famous song, The Prayer, that's been everywhere. It made it onto adult contemporary radio. Um, you know, Josh Groban, Celine Dion have a famous version of it. Um, but like during that song in this film, you've got this crazy action chase scene going on, you know, set against this serene, hopeful, uh, and just dramatic performance by Celine Dion. And like, you've got these, you know, gray blob mechanical creatures, you know, shooting harpoons and <laughs> throwing their flails at this fleeing girl. <laughs> It's just so, so like such a bizarre choice. A very bizarre choice. Um, so there's things like that that just really don't work. They don't mesh very well. Um, it's sort of like the Simpsons parody version of like a Disney musical where the characters just kind of spontaneously break into an obligatory musical exactly number. Exactly, because I don't think they were trying to make it a parody. What's that? <laughs> I don't yeah. think they were trying to make it a parody either. No, but they yes, were similar. Yeah, but the like, songs like laughing like they're the joke of 1998. I mean, they're good songs, but they do feel obligatory, and there's not like the natural build of sort of the sentiment in the dialogue and in the character motivation that really lends itself to then naturally and organically going into the the musical number uh, which was yeah yeah the philosophy let me steal the mic because Please. that actually really bugs me um the villain song in particular when i believe the lyrics were something along the lines of i'm bad i don't have the morals because i'm bad i am bad <laughs> i know obviously that's not like a verbatim like representation of the lyrics but as i was listening to it i was like all right, they must have like cut the actual lyricist off this project because the villain singing to us that I am bad and I'm the villain and I'm bad. And it's like, I feel like you could have been a little more subtle. So Dion was too expensive. They just needed like someone to say words. Like she was too much expense. Yeah, it's so on the nose. It's, and, and it doesn't work as a parody either. Because uh, yeah, Hannah, you... They're, they're not trying to do a parody here. It's, it's very clear. Like there's some serious action stakes that they're trying to put forward. Well, it's a really serious story. I mean, if you, if you were to write it down, you know, like the dad died trying to defend the honor of the Knights of their own table. And like this girl is trying to, you know, Mulan style defend his honor. And then you have this character who's essentially been a hermit his whole life because he's been blinded and he's kind of brought back into society. If you were to read this as a book without, you know, the, the crossing eyes and the bad song lyrics of the villain. Like it, it is a serious story. It just, I mean, it's not necessarily fully 
brought out with with the production of the movie. Warner Brothers Family Entertainment is proud to present its newest animated feature. Featuring songs by Grammy Award winner David Foster and Academy Award winner Carol Bayer Sager and performed by Leanne Rimes, Steve Berry, Celine Dion, The Cause, and Brian White. Like every tree, Join the adventure. Its own. Witness the wonder. Reaching for the sky, I stand alone. Share the romance. For Camelot. I can see it all now. Cornwall and Devon star you in. You mean Devon and Cornwall? That's it. I want separate contracts. The lead, the villain, is an interesting character. I mean, <laughs> take get a load of those, the coke nails on this character. It's just a sight to behold. Uh, Lord Ruber, played by Gary Oldman both singing and in dialogue, one of the very few characters, if not the only character in this film. Well, uh, I guess the dragons, they, they both, I think, are the singing, they do, you know, the speak singing, I guess, in the one dragon song is performed by, you know, Eric Idle and Don Rickles. But like, uh, Gary Oldman just um, acts the heck out of this performance and, and it is rather um, enjoyable just to hear what he brings to this role. Uh, but it's just such a bizarre character. Philip, for some of our listeners, you need to pause and explain to us what coke near means. Uh, co- coke, coke nails. Coke nails. Oh, <laughs> and nails are long for the coke, Jody. Oh, okay, everyone. Sorry, I was googling it, and I was worried that our listeners might get a little thrown off. So I wanted to rewind. Oh, and uh, now that everybody's on the same page. The and I, uh, I'm trying to also, uh, I don't know, um, <laughs> mitigate my tendency to ramble a little bit. And I, that'll be something. While we're screwing it up, aren't we? <laughs> no, no, this will all stay in. But I apologize to the <laughs> audience. I'm sure once I'm listening back to this as I edit it, I'll be just like, jeez, man, shut up. <laughs> but well, um, I, I, I think with, it's good. We're, we're yeah. fleshing it out because I think this movie is fairly short, right? It's maybe like an yeah. hour and 10 minutes. It, it seemed to fly by for me. So we're actually really giving people more than they asked for with this yeah. podcast because hour, the movie was so short. <laughs> hour, 26 minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, animation is, it's a tough thing to do. And, you know, it took several years, I'm sure, to get this movie made. Um, so there's a lot to talk about with any of these projects. Um, but yeah, the Ruber, and he's got this crazy you know, Irish red mullet. I mean, he, I don't know what he's supposed to be, what kind of ethnicity amongst like the broader British, you know, culture, but like (laughs) he's apparently a Lord who has, you know, land and is uh, fed up with Arthur's ruling policies. And he, you know, he's like, if, I knew this were going to be a charity. I wouldn't lend you my support. <laughs> it's like, which one of the Coke? Okay. And I also had a joke in my notes about the Coke brothers, which is a different Coke. Uh, <laughs> so. Which is very confusing because the Coke brothers that you're referring to and Coca-Cola, like both have to do with like having a lot of money. And I always thought it was like the same thing. And then my mom made me read a book called Dark Money, 
which we'll go into deeper on the next episode of the Thoughtcast. I'm just kidding. No, we won't. This isn't a political show. Is that but, about uh, yeah. the Koch brothers? Well, they're definitely referenced th- throughout okay. there. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Ruber, he, he wants to rule Camelot. Um, you know, I, I don't know the whole dynamics of like where Camelot is located on in Great Britain. Um, if it's like close to where present day London is now, yeah, presumably the seat of government. The three ring symbol is kind of interesting. It's just What does it stand for, those three rings? They kind of reminded me of like some Olympic thing. Uh, unity, duty, uh, liberty. I, I, I don't know. There was the whole... Um, musical number at the beginning um united we stand is that the name of the song i think so a catchy it song right. it, it's basically i wonder celtic. what that song could be about <laughs> yeah celtic um circle of life basically is how i describe it um but it's it's so funny like after they're done singing you know the uh knights go around the table and they're raising their shields, reflecting the sunlight into these beams that intersect. Uh, they, they cross the streams, if you will. Uh, and <laughs> immediately afterwards, uh, Gary Oldman, or, or Ruber, is like, yeah, charming sing-along, which was the first of numerous fourth wall references to the fact that they actually sing like in world <laughs> in, in this film. It's, it's very bizarre. It is very bizarre, but it's also very bizarre that the chicken turns into an axe. So we got to roll with it. The chicken turns into an axe. It becomes sentient once it gets exposed to this magic potion that turns people. Which, yeah. not that it really matters, but if they were to make a prequel for Ca- Quest for Camelot, I really want to know like what witch that they found gave him this potion that was going to turn things into basically these mutants. Um, in the song, he actually references, he, he verbatim says, a witch gave me the potion. Oh, so gosh. I just want to know, like, what, is it kind of like Rapunzel style where it came from a flower? But it, it would be interesting to know, because I've never seen a potion that turns a chicken into an axe. The exposition in this film is just off the chain. It's, it's so clunky, you know, most of the time. Uh, yeah, here's the potion I bought, I bought from some witches. I can't speak right now. Sorry, I'm dehydrated. There's a potion I bought from some witches. Uh, it's like, who cares <laughs> where you got the potion? You know, unless you're going to go into that as part of the, the narrative. But it, do you know what it says written on the potion, on the little vial? Uh, A-C-M-E? Yeah, acne. Something like this? Yeah. <laughs> It's a Warner Brothers it's an animation studio, right? <laughs> well, so Acme, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, in um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That's the animation studio or the film studio, Acme. Uh, but it's a whole Warner Brothers thing. I don't really know. It might be the name of like a producer from back in the golden age of Hollywood, um, but like um, Wiley Coyote, like all of his gadgets, all of his like explosives and stuff comes from Acme. You know, oh so yeah, it's, that's it's right. Just a running, yeah. And then like- That's Pink- what I knew. <laughs> yeah. Pinky and the Brain, 
you know, they're test subjects for Acme Labs. So it's just like a, a science, like a research and development company uh, within the Warner Brothers animation universe. I like when they throw in things like that. I mean, I guess it kind of, well, okay, let me, I find it interesting when they throw in things like that. On one hand, it's, it's cool because they get to like reference things within their own world. But on the other hand, I think it can take away from like the actual story itself. And you see that sometimes in Disney movies when they throw in Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. On one hand, I really like it. I think it's cute. And then on the other hand, I'm like, oh, it kind of takes away from the integrity of this storyline. Like um, in Hercules, there's a scene where he has the skin of Scar, the lion from Lion King, on his back. And that's just like a little Easter egg. But it kind of pulls you away from the story of Hercules. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's all over this movie. I mean, you scarcely go five minutes without some reference or easter egg uh and of course that the dragon's little musical number introduction has just all the references <laughs> from sunny and Cher to elvis to you know monty python i mean you name it um and it, i guess it's playing off of you know what disney did with the the genie but of course he was like this omniscient you know, magical being. So it kind of makes sense that he would maybe know, you know, all, all of this crazy, you know, cultural information from the future or, or what have you and incorporate that into his style. And that was just such a, a madcap sort of stylistic film in the first place. It, it was a much better written film, of course. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, that, yeah, Aladdin, I guess, was the first film when every movie kind of wanted to be just very self-referential um, and uh, play off of a lot of references that would ultimately become you know, kind of dated. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there are any other things in, in this film that just don't really... Me too, I'm brainstorming. Um, <laughs> that aren't really relevant to, to people nowadays. Um, I, I took a few notes here, but um, yeah, just... Yeah, not 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 off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I was gonna say before we like tiptoe into like our closing remarks, and I don't know if this has been said or said again, but I I really do admire that they picked a lead that was different, you know, differently abled. Again, I'm not sure if that's the right word because I don't I can't think of any other animated movie that has a blind character. Like I ran through my head and I didn't know if you guys could think of anyone. But, you know, there's a lot of blind and deaf people out in the world. And, of course, I mean, a blind person couldn't, quote unquote, like watch this movie. But it is cool to have a hero that has a different set of skills and and maybe lacking. But also in that lacking has sort of a superpower, like he's able to hear, not superpower, but, you know, he's able to hear really well and still anticipate and be really strong on his own accord. And I was trying to think if there was any other, you know, blind or deaf animated characters out there that kind of like reach out to those those people who maybe can relate to those abilities different abilities Hmm. can you guys think of any any not any lead characters at least there might be some like side characters but well yeah really not any leads that i can think of yeah you know my brother and i talked about avatar the last airbender a couple weeks ago uh and one of the main characters in that is a character named Toph. Uh, was introduced in the second season. She becomes part of the main um, main group 
that follow in that series. But um, yeah, hard to say as far as like Disney films uh, proper or, or some of these other uh, hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon loses a limb. Um, so mm-hmm. that's sort of... That's yeah, sort of something similar where it's like a physical, physical one. But ha- yeah, that was something feet. I just wanted. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait, are you looking these up online, Philip? No, nope, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm just going off of memory. <laughs> it sounds like I am. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of like hammer that in because hopefully, maybe someone out there listening is going to go onto animation and they'll hear that we really liked that they included that, and then they'll you know include it a little bit more in upcoming films because I think that's really important. And I do think you're starting to see more and more of that in 2020, like at Target. Uh, we saw for the first time like an advertisement with like a little girl in a wheelchair in the clothing section for the kids' clothes, and I just think that's that's really cool to start seeing those things coming out. So anyway, I was um, just gonna say that again. Uh, well, speaking of references, we have you know quotes from Dirty Harry and Taxi Driver delivered by Blade Beak, you know the crazy chicken. Uh, so that's something. <laughs> And of course, these moments have been quoted a thousand times by a thousand different things. You know, the, you know, are you, are you looking at me moment from oh Tax Driver? Of course, uh, in this film, it's delivered as, oh, wait, it is delivered as you looking at me. But I think in are the original film. Are you looking at me? Yeah. <laughs> in the film, it's, or in Taxi Driver, it's you talking to me. Um, so, but you can obviously tell what. What they're going for, and then Dirty Harry. It's um, you know, are you feeling lucky? <laughs> Wait, do they say that in this movie as well? Um, do you feel clucky? Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah, a lot of questionable decisions that maybe could have used a bit more brainstorming. Just a few, just a few more passes. Um, so I did just look up blind and deaf characters in movies, and actually, this movie was the only one um, that was animated on the whole list. Wow! Um, well, like- good for them because they didn't have to do that. You know, they could have just made him be a hermit without being blind. I mean, being a hermit alone is—you know—he could say, "Oh, I was scarred by society" or whatever. But you know, they didn't have to make him blind. And I'm glad that they did. And that is very eye-opening to point out. Yeah, both he and Kaylee, uh, you know, Garrett and Kaylee. Uh, Garrett, of course, voiced by Carrie Elwes of Princess Bride fame. So kind of bringing that Wesley archetype into this film. Um, and yeah, he, both of these characters have had aspirations from childhood to become knights, uh, which they do at the end of the film. Um, and the... This film is loosely based on a novel from the 1970s called The, the King's Damsel, or The, the King's Damosel. Um, just a couple different ways to spell that, that term, <laughs> damsel. Damsel is kind of a loaded term, I guess, in pop culture, too. Um, it, it's just, it kind of implies, you know, that the helpless female character. Um, not that that's literally what the definition is of, of the word damsel, um, but what is the definition because I always think of again going back to Hercules I'm not a damsel and I'm not in distress or something like this I think it just means like a um like a, a female like a maiden 
yeah a young yeah um yeah and in that film uh the lead character is or not that that novel i should say and i think it's a trilogy uh the lead character isn't named kaylee it's lynette who's a character from arthurian legend um, but that novel does paint her more in uh, an active role um and she falls in love with a a blind character named lucius but he dies in in the, in the novel uh unfortunately so, so there are some similarities there. Um, it's funny in the novel, like, I guess he falls ill. Um, he's like this cave dweller, cave dweller character who's like probably kind of frail and he's blind from spending so much time underground. Um, so he falls ill and, uh, you know, happens to fall in love with Lynette at the same time. And, and Lynette doesn't think of herself as particularly um, exceptional or attractive. Um, but um, he, this Lucius, I, for, somehow they procure the Holy Grail and this, the Grail has a power to grant him like a, a wish and, or, or do something, I guess, in the realm of healing him, but he only asks to have his blindness healed so that uh, he can see Lynette in person. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of sweet. Yeah, and yeah, I guess he, you know, the, the first thing he says to her is that she's, you know, the most beautiful thing that, you know, he could have imagined and- Yeah, they all say that. <laughs> well, it's kind of nice that oh, like- <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't see herself that way and and now she has someone in her life who who sees that so um but it is kind of silly like why wouldn't you just ask to be healed by the holy grail but maybe he wouldn't have been able to also have his sight restored or something um yeah at the end of this movie you kind of have a similar deus ex machina where like everything is restored back into balance once ruber is defeated it's it's very convenient. <laughs> and the sword goes back in the stone for good, right? Right? No, Arthur oh, wait, pulls no. it back out. Oh, okay. Sorry. I must have zoned out at that part because, like, I don't know. I started getting excited because Kaylee yeah. was going to be in a wedding dress, but it's not a wedding. It's a knighting ceremony. But, okay. So the sword the sword ends up being used again anyway. He pulls it right back out. All yeah, right. they, uh, yeah, they get knighted with Excalibur at the end. And um, let's, yeah, you have the dragons like having the option to you know be separated because of the power of Excalibur when when it's uh restored to its stone you know it's uh <laughs> it's mounted position like <laughs> sorry sorry yeah but but the uh the dragons opt not to separate like they go back i just always thought that moment was funny like why why are these dragons given the opportunity to split apart, but Garrett's sight isn't restored? It's all kind of arbitrary. Um, yeah, ex machiana, machiados. <laughs> yeah, machiados. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It's a fitting ending. It's a calm ending for a semi-calm action movie. Yeah. I have a big ending question for the listeners when we wrap it up. 
for them to let us know. What, Should I what ask is it? it now? Yeah. All yeah. right, everybody. Here's like the real question of the movie. Is Kaylee's hair red or brown? Let us know in the comments below. Is her hair red or is it brown? Because every other scene, I have a different idea of what I think. And that's that's the question I wanted to leave the viewers on. But Philip, you can still say your thing. But if you're, if people are listening, they can let us know. I mean, it's brown, right? Uh, she seems clearly influenced by yeah, the Yeah, I thought it was brown. Yeah. <laughs> it's red. Really? But okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let the listeners decide what they think now that they've listened through the podcast of the century. I mean, she looks a lot like Ariel. Uh, I don't know if that, if you found that or not. But uh, of course, speaking of characters with disabilities, like we're forgetting a, a big one and that's Quasimodo. <gasps> oh my gosh. Okay, but he, true. Very true. We did forget about, I can't believe I did forget about him, but he, true. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. But that's like to the extreme. I, yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, um, we'll definitely cover uh, Hunchback Notre Dame at a later time because that's definitely one of my all time favorites. But yeah, uh, we get at the end of this movie is like, you know, very, you know, <laughs> I I don't know. I I wouldn't say anticlimactic necessarily. I I got kind of I don't know warm fuzzy feelings when during the uh, the nighting scene, but it's just kind of funny. You got this Ruber character who's just so psychedelic throughout the film, and like he literally dies laughing. It's like of course <laughs> this character who's clearly in agony every waking second of his life, and he he goes out while laughing maniacally and you get that of course from the studio that owns the rights to uh, the character joker <laughs> who i feel would do something similar um but all very fitting um, and very fitting indeed. <laughs> very fitting yeah yeah warner brothers um i don't know i i just get the sense on this film that even though it's a little clunky um, at least one member of the creative staff did the due diligence of dabbling in psychedelics at some point in their life and was able to come up with a lot of the crazy concepts that you do see in this film, like the enchanted forest and, and like the crazy potion that combines, you know, inanimate objects with living creatures. And I don't know, this, this Ruber character who's just so off the wall um so i don't know and like even some of the celtic um mythology you know it's very grounded in like or it's based in in a lot of spiritual um i guess druidic tradition so i there's definitely a bit of a spice you know in this film when it comes to the magic of it all um i i even got vibes from like the movie Annihilation, where there's this crazy forest where all the life gets sort of blended together because of some weird alien force that's permeated this this forest. Uh, it's really creepy and there's all kinds of weird like hybrid creatures that evolve as a result of that. And then you see that with this crazy enchanted forest in Quest for Camelot where 
all this wildlife and this vegetation is like coming to life and this, the, even these little twigs, you know, that they're using to try to start a fire all get up and start running away. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's just so, yeah, Alice in Wonderland almost. Um, so I, I kind of like some of that stuff. Um, some of just the, the weird abstract the abstract that's a good way to put it and honestly like you talking about the twigs running around made me realize that another thing that we'll add to the list for the listeners delight is troll in central park the animated movie okay and then that was a don bluth film I believe. we'll find out on that podcast <laughs> because not everybody knows who made, who made it just yet well, yeah <laughs> sort of the the other studios that were prominent at the time in the 90s you know you had you know, Warner Animation, which wasn't quite as prolific, but then you also had Don Bluth, who, you know, in the 80s did An, An American Tale, Secret of Nim, Land Before Time. Like, he was he was a big player, and he came from Disney and started his own studio um, and, and was Disney's closest competition for a while and even uh, beat out Disney in some cases in, and in some years. Um, like, Land Before Time, that was a really pretty big hit when that came out American Tale of course um but I then, love Land Before Time yeah so classic except for this kid at my preschool always told me that I sounded like um oh my gosh what was her name Ducky, Ducky. like Hi. I was like right. a little kid and he was like you sound like Ducky and I was like oh my god yeah, yeah of course he did Anastasia Don Bluth We've all been fighting about who gets to cover Anastasia with you, Philip. That's that's going to be a home run podcast yeah. too. I'll be doing Anastasia and Thumbelina. Yeah, he did Thumbelina. Wait, I don't know if he did and Thumbelina. Really. I can't. So, there were some that were sort of anomalies as well. They they got fairly wide releases and and decent box office turnouts, but weren't really a studio that had a long-running track record uh like the swan princess for example which i always thought was a warner brothers animated film are you guys familiar with that longer than forever i love swan princess we can sing it right now if you guys want us to i i thought that one had very similar animation to quest for camelot maybe it it shared some talent that worked on that film but uh it, it isn't. Um, it's some some company I've never heard of. The listeners will have to tune in next week to find out the answers to all these burning questions because I think, I think I, we're we're leaving them on a big cliff note. I, I have it here, so we're kind of all over the place. But that's the fun of this show. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nest Entertainment and Rich Animation Studios produced Swan Princess back in 1994, um, and it was distributed by New Line Cinema, which is like a Warner Brothers sister company, but um, some, some similarities there uh, in terms of like the musical aesthetic and just trying to sort of ape the Disney animation formula. Um, let's see, what else uh, can we mine from this picture here? <laughs> I think I covered my main topics. I loved that they did someone differently abled. I loved some of the Celine Dion songs. The storyline was okay. The animation wasn't very good. But overall, I like it because I watched it when I was seven years old. And sometimes 
all you need is a couple of dragons on a screen to be happy when you're seven. I, I, I would give this movie two thumbs up. One and a half thumbs up. That's fair. Hannah, what would you give it, girl? One, two, or one and a half? Where like a B for effort. And <laughs> I didn't really love it. And I kind of got confused. But I think it was fun. And I liked all the little connections that we made to other things. Yeah, I think I liked this podcast better than the movie. And like, man, you got the leading journey on your movie, so I'm down. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of all over the place, very derivative. Um, it it was kind of a fun little sequel to The Sword and the Stone. Back when I originally saw this film, I was like, oh, so that's what happens to Arthur when he grows up and becomes king. Um, and I don't know, it, it, uh, it was certainly a curiosity back then when I was, you know, still elementary school age and this was kind of a more of a badass type film that i didn't mind watching because it had action in it it wasn't super princessy it wasn't you know the love story kind of took a back seat but it's it, a pretty gender neutral I, and i do like the love story in this film actually it, i mean it's endearing they yeah. really like find each other's strengths i think it's honestly probably a stronger love story than some of the disney princess ones at least they you know, they work together and they challenge each other and they grow together. I mean, compared to meeting someone and being like, he's my prince, you know, it, it was yeah. good. They have a good, they have a strong relationship. They have an immediate connection. They've both uh, been taken like under the wing of, you know, Kaylee's father. Kaylee's father also had a hand in training Garrett uh, when he was still alive. So uh, yeah, just a lot of decent chemistry there, but otherwise this film has some cliches. I mean, if I were to give it two thumbs, then I would have to somehow procure a whole lot more thumbs to give to all the other films, <laughs> which yeah. I would find more deserving. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess, you know, give this movie uh, maybe a thumb up or a, <laughs> a, a C. Okay. I wouldn't give a it an F. <laughs> no. Um, it uh yeah this movie's all right it's got some decent music celine dion i mean you can't go wrong uh but yeah it's 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 more for the younger kids i feel yeah the ones that like don't really know and so they'll just watch it anyways <laughs> yeah um they threw a lot at the wall uh definitely worth checking out uh warner brothers i, I don't know was there immediate follow-up to this but um the iron giant a wonderful film but then after that um they let's see they also did osmosis jones and looney tunes back in action but then they went dormant for a number of years and then came back with uh, the lego movie in 2014 um yeah it's uh it's it's something as you said earlier <laughs> i was just gonna say i was gonna say as you mentioned earlier it is something that we saw and if we haven't convinced everyone to watch it yet i mean it's still a pandemic like you're all sitting at home just use it, this as your excuse to put it on it's on disney plus and and maybe you'll see something in it that we maybe missed this movie is a good a companion to shrek i would say it even sure. has a farting ogre <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> uh, it's so and and ruber of course lot lots of great it, this is a great riff tracks film to be honest because there's just so many weird choices revolving around that one character in particular 
uh, Gary Oldman just chews all of the scenery. Um, but yeah, but um, any anything else memorable? I, I don't know. Is the, the the really fat dragon that's capable of flying is kind of funny. <laughs> just like. <laughs> It's it like the no caterpillar sense. from A Bug's Life, where he's like, I am uh, a beautiful butterfly, but his wings are super tiny and he's still like a giant caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, clearly the aerodynamic uh, properties of, of that physiology have nothing to do with, with the ability to, uh, to fly. It must be more of just like a psychic uh, levitation <laughs> capability that... that the dragons have oh and, and like the ruber he just like takes out a dragon by punching it it's like what is this guy's deal is he like literally invincible because even before like we see him use the potion he like he gets sat on by an ogre you know shot out of its ass when it farts uh he like <laughs> yeah he punches out a dragon he's like he grabs onto these embers and is like you know enjoying it you know he's getting off on the pain of just holding these <laughs> burning embers in his hand it's just so uh <laughs> unbelievable um and, and of course uh let, let's not forget lastly the the falcon character uh silver wing what's his name again oh silver wing well um its actual name happens to be shared by approximately 20 per, or 25 percent of generation z uh, it's Aiden. <laughs> Wait, I thought his name was Griffin. No, a uh, Griffin. Well, there's the Griffin character. That <gasps> oh, I think sorry, sorry, called sorry. Griffin. Yeah. But Peter Griffin. Just making a, a post-millennial joke with the name Aiden, um, a name that's shared by about you know maybe a quarter of that generation or some variant thereof. Yeah, like six of my nephews are named Aiden. So like, I'm not chiming in here because I don't want to offend my family, but it's a great no, name. No, it's, it's not it's, a bad name. It's been used. Yeah, my nephew's name is Aiden too. <laughs> okay. All right. This Both of you have nephews joke. named yes. Aiden? Okay. Yes. Cool. Or nieces too. I suppose it, it does. It works for girls too. I all think. of them fill up. They're yeah. all named Aiden. Every single one of the kids is named Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> guys oh, okay no. let's let these poor listeners oh, go right. okay uh, voiced uh, by frank welker actually a shared cast uh, member from mulan frank welker the voice of uh cricky and khan the horse in mulan of course you know famous for a million voice roles including like fred from scooby-doo and on and scooby-doo himself in, in the most recent film um but yeah okay we'll wrap things up here <laughs> apologies but no this was a fun time we're just kind of hanging out during covid talking about some uh, sort of underrated uh, animation from the late 90s it's available to watch on netflix right now yeah quest for camelot um check it out uh, where can people listening find uh, you all? Jody, go ahead. I'll kick us off. Yeah, you can find me on here talking about Anastasia in the upcoming weeks, Just Philip and I. That's going to be my solo episode. And you can also find me on Instagram. It's my name, Jody, J O D I, last name Pulaski, P like puppy, O L A S K Y. And thanks for joining in today. It was a lot of fun. 
And you can find me on the podcast, also doing my solo Anastasia episode. <laughs> and um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Hannah Smart and Instagram at Hannah Lee Ever After, L-E-I-G-H, and Ever After Like Fairy Tales. Awesome. Well, you can find the podcast at thodcast.com on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and you can find us uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Thodcast. Find me, Philip, at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Thodcast Conversations about animation. And we'll be back with our discussion of the new Mulan, uh, which debuts on Disney Plus. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for all kinds of fun wackiness from us in the future uh, yeah so we'll be back and in the meantime have a uh, magical day a wonderful week and warm hugs warm hugs